0: Or um, and so again, welcome to everybody. If you are just joining us, um, please make sure to introduce yourself in the chat um, with your name and where you're calling or where you're joining us from. Um, I as want to reiterate my welcome from the Pete Collaborative Organization organizing team um, and to kind of set the agenda for today. As most of you know. Collaborative was born in April 2020 in direct response to the challenges facing the Kate community and the world amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Sadly, COVID-19 continues to create challenges, but the KEET community has demonstrated that it is strong and resilient, and we continue to adapt and learn how to effectively deliver physical education, teacher education during the pandemic. Um, We are definitely well positioned to do some deep reflection and potentially some major revision of how and why we do what we do. While we have long leaned on the old adage claiming that there is no need to reinvent the wheel, I would assert that now is actually the perfect time for us to reinvent the wheel. Therefore, over the course of the next several PEAK collaborative sessions, we hope to provide the community with a place to consider tangible and timely strategies that could be the impetus for a meaningful change in our individual teaching and scholarship, in our programs, and in our wider profession. Um, as a reminder, we are not here to direct the conversation, just facilitate it. We are also not claiming to be experts of all things, um, but we do feel that this is an important venue to stimulate meaningful and relevant conversation. So now I would like to pass it over to Kevin Richards and Paul Wright, who will introduce the topic for the day and our panelists, all of whom are K-12 teachers who are very, we are very excited to welcome um, to the PEAT Collaborative. So uh, Kevin.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Jamie. As always, for uh, for framing uh, the Peak Collaborative in this particular session for us, uh, it's great to see so many uh, so many familiar names and faces out there, and then some uh, some ones that uh, I haven't seen before or that I don't recognize as well. So it's a uh, great to great to be back for the fall semester and happy to happy to be uh, working with Paul Wright to um, kind of facilitate the introduction of this um, Peak Collaborative session. Before we really turn it over to our panelists, who, as Jamie indicated our um, our in-service practitioners working uh, where they implement um uh, physical activity programs uh, in multiple different places around the country uh, where they have a focus on social and emotional learning um, and you know as we know social and emotional learning has become more of a centerpiece in the physical education literature over the last several years um, there's been an increase in scholarship in this area um, and also an increase in practical publications uh, including a um, a book that i had the opportunity to co-author with paul uh, related to our co-edit sorry co-edit with paul uh, we had a fabulous group of authors and they deserve the credit, um, but co-edit with Paul uh, related to implementing social and emotional learning and physical education. Um, and, and while we have seen that kind of spike in recent years, um, this is not necessarily new hat. Um, a lot of this work began back in the 1970s with the, with the pioneering uh, scholarship of Don Hellison uh, and others who, who sought to use physical activity spaces as, as, way, as places to be able to um, implement and, and um, focus on social emotional learning. Over the the last several years, I would argue that the importance of social and emotional learning for all youth has only been further punctuated um, through the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that it's had on family and community mental as well as physical health and well-being. Um, and, and while social emotional learning is not the sole province of physical education, it's, it's something that uh, I think ideally is represented across the school curriculum. And um, uh, oftentimes we see kind of uniting frameworks at the school level uh, that, that focus on social emotional learning. Um, but this is an area that can be naturally integrated into many physical education programs um, when, in pro- when approached intentionally, uh, and it's also part of our national standards, uh, most prominently in standard number four that focuses on um, personal and social responsibility. Um, so again, uh, in this session, we, we wanted to take a little bit of a different turn from how we facilitated some of the previous PEAK Collaborative sessions. To this point, um, we've had some great conversations, but for the most part, it's been academics talking to academics. Academics. And we wanted to switch that up today um, and, and get some um, in, some practicing in-service practitioners who are who are working with this on the grassroots level um, come and, and talk to us about their experiences implementing social and emotional learning, and also feedback and advice that they have for us, uh, primarily as physical education teacher educators who are preparing students um, to go out and, and work uh, in environments where they'll likely be called upon to address social and emotional learning. So with that, I will, uh, I'll be, quiet and I'll turn it over to Paul.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, Kevin, for that introduction and your continued great partnership and friendship as we uh, work together on a lot of these sorts of presentations. And thanks, Jamie, for the introduction and everyone for being here today. Um, So I'm Paul Wright from Northern Illinois University. I'm really happy to be here and be part of this. And especially, as Kevin said, to shift the focus onto practitioners. Uh, As we're going to today with this panel, um, we all know what we do and we talk to each other about issues and problems of practice, uh, but I think this is something Kevin and I agree, uh, we should be doing more of is is letting experts in the field share their expertise with us and their insights. So I'm going to serve as the moderator more or less the MC for the panel, um, but we'll have some natural back and forth, I want to encourage people to be putting questions uh, in the chat box because after we give some questions to sort of prime the panel and get things going, uh, we're hoping to include a lot of questions from you uh, to keep that conversation going. Um, a little bit of housekeeping. I know a couple of our panelists were coming straight from teaching. Um, I think Karen Puckett might be the last to join. I don't know if she's on yet or not, uh, but I'm assuming and hoping that the other panelists are already in. We so- have,
0: um, Paul, we have Karen and Dan, are on, and we're still waiting for Yara and Joe.
2: Kevin and Dan are on. Okay, well let me start off by having them introduce themselves. Um, I'm I'm just going to introduce them by name, but I'll ask each one of them to tell us a little bit about their current setting, the school, school level they teach, um, what part of the country they're in, and just a general introduction about their experience uh, and time out there in the field teaching PE. Um, So let's start off with Karen. Would you introduce yourself to the panel, I mean to the audience?
3: Hi, um, I'm Karen Puckett. I am out of Illinois, and Glen Ellen, Illinois area, for those of you who are familiar. And um, I'm working with CASE, which is the Cooperative for Special, uh, Cooperative Association for Special Education. And we do adapted services um, throughout the um, various school districts, but I service the high school level. So I have two high school um, peer inclusion classes. So um, it's called reverse inclusion, if you're familiar with um, adaptive PE. And then I also service inclusion services, adaptive services within the elementary school level as well.
2: All right, great. Thank you, Karen. And um, Dan, if you would give us uh, about the same, just a quick snapshot of where you're coming from and what your role is in history with PE.
4: Sure. Uh, My name is Dan Phelps. I'm a middle school principal in Winnebago, Illinois, so if you're familiar with Illinois, we are uh, directly west of Rockford. Um, I guess why I'm here, in, in my background, um, I was a physical education teacher for 10 years. My, my background is in uh, physical education, exercise physiology, and uh, then moved to the, the role of administrator about five years ago. So I am currently serving, like I said, as a middle school principal here in Winnebago.
2: Great, hey, thank you. And uh, do we have an update on either Joe or Yara, if either of them were able to join yet?
0: Um, we're still waiting on that. I will jump in and let you know when they arrive. I'm here. I'm Joe. Oh, Joe's here. Perfect.
2: Um, so, Joe, I'm. I'm just asking. I'm Paul Wright. Nice to meet you. Uh, sort a little bit closer than just our emails so far. Um, we're just going down and having the panelists just say a little bit about uh, what role they have, uh, currently where they teach, school level, what part of the country, um, and just generally your your background in PE, just a, a minute or a minute and a half about your bio. <laughs>
5: um, so my name is Joe Dixon, uh, my 24th year of teaching um, at the secondary level. And uh, I teach in Fort Collins, Colorado at a middle school. So. Uh, Jamie McMullen had asked me to pop on here and, um, I just hot off the press. I just finished a class. So, um, anyway, um, I teach middle school physical education, health education and adaptive. Um, yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, our program is in physical education is based around the social emotional learning wheel. So that is, that is how we do business. Great.
2: Thank you, Joe. And that's obviously what we're gonna dig into as, as we go through some questions for you guys. Um, and by the way, all the panelists were invited because of our various you know, personal connections with them or their reputations through the network as people out there that really understand, that really get and promote SEL in their PE programs. Um, it was, so we have three panelists already introduced. Has Yara joined yet?
0: Um, she has not.
2: Been to well, we're just gonna start rolling then with some questions to the other panelists. And uh, the nice thing about the authenticity here is almost everybody's racing to get on the call right after teaching. Um, so what I was gonna do is just throw out one question to each panelist to get things moving. So Karen, I'll go back to you first. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start focusing on social and emotional learning? Why is this something that you're committed to and where, where, where did that motivation come from?
3: Okay, so for me, um, obviously Paul knows because Paul and I went to school together years and years ago, but my motivation, what came from Don himself, um, He uh, once I figured out TPSR and what it does um, within the PE setting, I thought it was absolutely genius, um, a, a genius way to use PE to, to incorporate these kinds of skills in a way that um, in an environment that is, to me, the most kind of most... Um, inviting for learning that kind of stuff and then um, that's how I initially got into it but then obviously over the years with Adapted I've been in various roles of Adapted and it took me a while to figure out how to incorporate it with my population the various populations that I serve and um, I eventually at some point it was the kids Um, uh, my kids had a need for social interactions with their peers and how you know just wanting that that interactions and I thought I can use TPSR through a program to start incorporating this, and that's literally how I've started doing that now. So,
2: all right, great. Um, so let's see. Let's go to Dan next, and this is um, a different question. But I'm wondering, you know, you you wear the hat now of an administrator, but you your roots are are deep in PE. Um, what would you say to folks that question the relevance of social emotional learning and learning in PE? the folks who don't quite see that as a fit or don't understand why it should be prioritized?
4: That's a good question. <laughs> and I, I would say that it's foundational. Um, when we look at physical education, we're looking at students' personal health um, and you don't have personal health unless you're, you're hitting all the components of health. And that's where we're looking at the physical, the, the mental and the social emotional aspects of a person's uh, individual personal health. PE especially, I'm, I'm at the secondary level, um, both my teaching and my administrative experiences are at middle school and high school. And um, there's a lot of vulnerability in, in PE, right? There's a lot of, a lot of vulnerability in, in personal fitness in general, even for adults that maybe join a gym or a club because um, they're, they're exposing a lot of themselves. And so in doing that, we know that our, our teaching staff, their number one priority is to start off by building relationships their number one priority is right off to to make that student feel welcome, feel comfortable. And and that's what they're establishing trust. So when we think about the social emotional realm and for these students, we want them establishing and fostering healthy relationships inside of that physical education fitness setting. Because we understand that if they can't build those relationships there, if they can't be vulnerable and they can't feel comfortable in that environment, um, they're not gonna have that success. And if they don't have that success in physical education, it's not gonna carry over long-term. And that's why we fight with the stereotypes that we do in physical education. And we fight with uh, um, some of the issues of people, a lot of people in our country carrying over healthy habits from the K-12 setting into adulthood. So I, I don't know if that answered your question, uh, Dr. Wright, but that's, that's one of the things I would say if I was asked that question. Uh, yeah,
2: No, that, that's great. That's what makes it the perfect answer to that question. That's what we would really say. Um, I appreciate that. And uh, oh, let's turn to you next. Uh, You mentioned that SEL is really foundational. It's really embedded in your program. Could you say a little bit about how you handle assessment with topics related to SEL?
5: I think you said me, but I'm not sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, yeah, um, our, you know, I, this is my 23rd year of teaching. And, um, you know, my current teaching partner and I, we had to do something different about six years ago, because we just felt like we weren't reaching kids. Um, as far as assessment goes, all of our assessments are, are rubric based. Um, but it's really based around the social emotional learning wheel. Um, every like simple things, can you greet others? Can you say thank you, please? And thank you using your, um, just using some basic, um, as we think, um, common sense and, you know, courtesy, um, type of skills, but students, a lot of students don't know what that looks like. So our rubrics are, you know, everybody is, everybody has an opportunity to get, we call it an eight. An eight is the highest level of achievement you can get at our school. Um, and everyone in the room can get an eight um, depending on how they do. So our assessments are all rubric based. Um, we do a five units a year, but within those units, um, we have different activities within those units. So um, we recognize kids on different different levels as far as spirit of the game and as far as their, um, their character and their, um, their integrity. Um, We do a lot of student recognitions. Um, We also do, um, you know, we probably have four, we'll probably have four assessments at the end of our first quarter, which is in mid October. And we'll have another four at the end of um, at the end of December, at the end of our first semester. I don't necessarily think more is better. Um, I think less is
2: more. So Great. Thanks, Joe. So just to, to clarify then and reiterate, it's rubric. It's, you have multiple assessments with real clear expectations related to what you're doing in the units, and it does feed into student assessment of student performance and grading. Is that all true?
5: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank
2: you. So I'm gonna do a quick uh, check in with my partners here. Um, For one thing, uh, Jamie to know if Yara had signed in yet and then uh, Kevin maybe also an update on if we're getting some questions coming in yet from the audience.
0: Um, I do not see Yara yet um, and I will jump in and let you know when she does join and then Kevin um, can look over at the chat.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been monitoring that and uh, we don't have any questions coming in there. Uh, I did just leave a message for everybody, though. Uh, you can use the raise your hand function in Zoom if you want to um, uh, get called on to ask a question out loud. Or if you just drop your question into chat, then uh, we'll pull them out of there and ask them. OK, great. So I think what I'll do, uh, Paul, in... Paul, <clears> then. <throat> Paul, we got one. If uh, We got one out of chat if you'd like me to read that one. Sorry, it just came in. Um, So, some people have advocated that models based practice is a good way to integrate SEL into your teaching. Uh, Do any of you have a favorite models based practice to teach uh, with SEL?
0: And so, I think any of our panelists can jump in. Um, with that, and I assume obviously by models based practice you're referring to curriculum models um, sport education teaching personal social responsibility, which I think Karen already kind of alluded to there a little bit. So um, if any of the panelists want to jump in on that.
3: Yeah, for me, everything in regards to, uh, to assessment, because I work with an adaptive PE population. So my assessments are not as like rubric based, um, at least currently as um, Joe was saying so I just do like daily assessments with my kids um, and check-ins like um, do we have the thumbs as well as I've also used um, a a visual model Um, so I have like the each of the levels if you're familiar with the TPSR uh, teaching personal social responsibility levels so I have a level for um, respecting and then a level for trying a level for Um, setting goals and then a level for um, caring and I don't necessarily call it levels for my kids um, because obviously those levels can be kind of incorporated in many different ways and um, so we basically touch on I I check for understanding through questioning and um, sometimes visuals um, if I have like a visual picture and I have like a stick in in like a pocket card And say hey you know what goal do you want to work on, do you want to work on respect, do you want to work on trying, do you want to work on goal setting, do you want to work on caring. And then they show me you know which what part of TPSR they want to work on for that day, Um, and then we check in later and say okay, how did you do with that, you know. Did you? Were you able to get your goal? Yes or or no kind of thing because I have to keep again. I work with an adaptive population, so some of my stuff has to be a little bit more um, not as in depth in regards to some of the academics that um, I know um, are in other areas. So, all right, thank you. I hope Karen. that answers the
2: question. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, that, that was a good example of hitting assessment and crossing that with. Um, with the TPSR model and adapted PE, there's a lot in there. Um, how about uh, Joe or Dan, do you do you two either through personal experience or just what you see with your, um, your peers doing out there? Um, have you seen other people using like sport education, adventure-based learning, cooperative, uh, cooperative learning in uh, integrating SEL?
5: Yeah, we use the sport ed model, um, and I, I certainly think it's a win-win, because all students have roles and jobs. Um, the, um, I mean, that's, I, I think it gives students ownership, um, and I mean, that's, that's actually what we're in right now, so um, yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I can kind of speak to that, but I'm also, my eyeballs keep going to the chat because there's some really good questions <laughs> coming coming down the line here. And um, and uh, there was a question that popped up and it's already, there's so many coming in. It's from Shelby and it says, uh, question for panelists is what written curricular materials do you use to support? And there was another one that talked about integrating that among students uh, between one another. And I think it ties into all these questions here. Um, we, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak out of two lenses, um, both as a, as a physical education teacher, now as a principal. And this is my first year in this building. I was just hired as a principal about one week before the students came back. So we're, we're learning very quickly here. Um, but in terms of the, the working on the SEL components with, cohesively among students, um, my prior teaching experience was with strength, conditioning, and personal training at the high school level. Um, All the way down from we had we had novice uh, students that would work with. We had students that were um, students that were um, athletes that we would work with. But one of the things that the pandemic brought us as well with that was we looked at journaling and then we looked at being able to articulate our journals and and how that worked in the fitness arena, how those work together. We did a lot of stuff that I can credit all the way back to my, I was trained at Illinois State University years back and looking at things like actual checklists and things to go over those with each other and then elaborate and coach on them. So pure coaching was, was real big uh, and being able to uh, accept feedback, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is, especially in that, uh, in that realm. And in terms of where the materials would come from and carrying this over to now, we are major proponents of the PLC, our professional learning community model. Um, and why, why that's relevant, and I, I, I love talking about that with, I know we have a lot of university um, personnel on here, is that we start off from a foundation standpoint in all of our, our content areas, in particular in physical education as well, with four essential questions. If there's a focus on learning and this incorporates SEL, we start off with the questions, what do we want our students to know? How will they know when they've learned it? What do we do if they don't learn it? And what do we do for students who already know it? So essentially what you're looking at there are essential learning standards, our common formative assessments. We're looking at intervention and we're looking at extension. And so by starting with that question number one, that forces us to sit back and ask ourselves that question, what do we want our kids to learn here? And that helps us really dive into not just getting kids active, and I hate to use the words just getting kids active because we know how crucial it is for kids to move throughout the day. If it were my choice, my, my students' uh, school uniform would be a pair of gym shorts and a t-shirt, and, and then we could just do that uh, all day long. But understanding where are we are gonna dive into that affective domain, that cognitive domain, um, and what our kids are expected to learn, and then they can work on that collectively. And as a teacher, then we can assess in a common standpoint, a common formative standpoint, what are results look like, and is that teaching working? And are we hitting the models we put in place for social emotional learning standards? So I don't know if that answered that question, and I'm apologize for the vacuum outside my door right now, <laughs> but but uh, but hopefully that that spoke to a few of the questions that I saw there.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. It'd, it'd be great okay. to have Joe jump in on um, the question that was asked um, around: Do you supervise student teachers? If so. What do you want them to know when they come into your classes regarding SEL? Because that's actually the connection that we have with Joe um, is that her and her teaching partner, Matt Moeller, um, actually my all of my classes are going to observe them tomorrow um, and all day. And then um, she'll be taking practicum students and they regularly take student teachers. So Joe, I don't know if you want to address that and I'll repeat it. Um, if What do you want the teachers, student teachers and practicum students that are coming into your classes, what do you want them to know when they come into your class regarding how to teach SEL?
5: Um, I mean, I think before that anybody can teach anything, you have to have some management. Um, so the biggest thing that I want student teachers to, number one, get better at is managing students. We have a massive amount of students in our class. So we have between 50 to 80, myself and a teaching partner, but management skills are absolutely imperative and number one, actually it's probably relationship skills. So if you can't build relationships with students, it's gonna be really hard. So relationship building, management skills, Um, and then teaching that SEL comes in with, also with your personality. Um, I don't think we can teach traditional physical education anymore. We don't teach, we teach nothing, I don't teach, we don't teach basketball, Um, I certainly don't do dodgeball. We don't teach, I don't teach a lot of traditional things. We country swing, we salsa, we square dance, Um, we do lifetime fitness, Um, we we do spirit of the game. And within that, there's three or four different activities we have there. Um, Teaching traditionally, I think, is not going to win a lot of kids to movement we want kids to find joy in movement and know that every body is built to move, no matter what you look like or who you are, um, that movement is, is, it's important in our life forever. Um, so social emotional learning within, with student teachers, um, I mean, I even think it's hard sometimes for us to figure out ways to embed it, but every year I feel like we get better and we add another facet every year so right now we are teaching the sport ed model through ultimate frisbee, but I'm talking about the importance of the roles of being a captain and being a coach. What does that look like in real life, and how is that transferable outside of the classroom? Those those are that's what's real life, um, and then you can really embed that into any team concept that you have, um, and then also I think that you know that character that integrity transfers into when students play individual and dual sports and lifetime activities. We want them to find the joy in their movement and know that every single body is built to move forever. Um, so as far as SEL goes, I, I don't want, I want your college students to be able to teach them how do they greet someone? How do they, I mean, if we're talking specifics, how do you greet somebody? How do you say hello? How do you treat somebody on your team that's maybe less skilled than you? How do you include an adaptive student? You know, those are the simple things that I want college students to know and think just outside the box a little bit. Um, How do we make our team better, even though I'm not as skilled as someone else? What's my role and how can I make this class and my team better?
2: that's great. I just want to jump in with a little bit of a follow-up to probe on that a little bit. Um, The way you just described it is it sounds to me like a very proactive approach to behavior management. I mean, if you would dial the clock back several years when the focus was on uh, almost exclusively sport and psychomotor skills what most student teachers were prepared to deal with was behavior problems, but sort of a reactive approach. You know, um, only they they only had strategy for what to do when things were going wrong. Um, It sounds to me like these connect up. Could you say a little bit about that? How does this relate to what people years past would have considered your behavior management plan? Um, Sorry,
5: say that question one more time.
2: How does this relate to behavior management? you know, what 10 years ago, everybody would have considered behavior management. Um, it, it sounds like you're taking a much more proactive approach, but issues still come up. How do these things intersect?
5: Well, I think um, lots of failure. <laughs> I mean, you think as a teacher, all of us, we failed so many times, right? We, I mean, that's how you get better. Um, so I always talk to my student teachers about, we need to play offense rather than defense. So you need to be thinking one step ahead of the kids all the time. And so, I mean, the the bottom line, it's relationships, it's management, and it's everything. And that sounds, I mean, that may sound really simple, but it's, you know, the managing of equipment, the managing of massive amounts of students, because that's what we're dealing with right now. And we're dealing with students that have been behind the laptop for a year and a half. And I mean, I don't know what everybody else is dealing with, but my reality is that students are really lacking social skills and they're lacking that ability to, to social, socialize appropriately. I mean, we've already got students with their laptops taken away because they can't, you know, appropriately respond to it in the chat box, you know, just different things like that. Um, and I think they need, physical educators, they need us now more than ever to teach that. Um, and it's, here are the expectations that's how I deliver a lot of information and that's what I would say to a student teacher my expectations of you are this and this is how we're going to lay out a lesson and this is what I want you to focus on today um that it's just how we build it it's how we build our skills and it's how I built mine
3: if I could I'd like to expand on that thought so I've literally been encountering this ex- with my kids, um, my high school kids, and well, even on my, gen- my elementary uh, way back, but um, like my kids with Adapted, they, they lack social skills, right? So what better environment for them to be able to practice and learn these skills um, than with their peers, because we are in what's called reverse inclusion. So reverse inclusion basically means that, so there's my adapted students, but then there's peers, gen ed peers that are also in class with them, okay? So we have just as many in in that case, depending on what building, because I go, I have two different buildings like that. So in one, one situation, I have more gen ed peers than I have adapted students. and the other, I have more adapted students than gen ed peers. However, regardless, my kids are there and they absolutely love this class. They crave it, okay? And so do the gen ed kids because they want that social interaction. So what better place for them to learn? It's activity, but then they're also learning these social skills as they're doing the activity. And I know some of your questions were asking about that. How do you embed that within your activity? So I mean, it's very simple. Like if you use, I don't know if you're familiar with the Don's TPSR model, but if you use that, we go we go through, we do the awareness talk, you know, very touch on, okay, let's focus on respect today. How what does respect look like when we're playing basketball? What are ways, can you give me, you know, think about ways while you're, you're doing your activity, ways that you can, you are showing respect and then we'll debrief about it before we go to the locker room, you know, and then we debrief at the end. Oh, I, I, you know, gave everyone, everyone was given a turn or, um, uh, I forgot what the other examples that I had today, but you know, the examples are given. So that's how you can embed it quickly, you know, and it literally takes a minute, two minutes, you know and it's done. And then the kids are learning these social skills as they're actually doing activity.
4: Yeah. I had, I had some that, that crossed my mind, if you don't mind, with Karen. So these are really good questions. And and to go back, when you first started the question to Joe, you asked about what behavior management was like now versus 10 years ago. And I think it, it's really neat talking to a, a whole group of. of professionals because you're the ones that we always want to talk to right because you're the ones sending us the student teachers (laughs) but you know for this sel to work it not every not every school has a joe or a karen and and you know this is obviously they're here because they're very good at what they do and what's important to know too and how behavior management's got to change too for the sel portion to work that has to do with how the teacher actually approaches them class themselves so it's like it's, it's sel standards for the teachers, not just for the kids. And a lot of that has to do with we talked about relationships, but for us, one of the big things was moving away from using points as as bargaining chips, you know, that you know that that mindset of well, that's fine. If you're, you can sit out, but you're not gonna get your points and, and shifting from a, a points and achievement based approach to a learning based approach. And, and not just teaching about SEL, but embodying SEL and, and presenting that to your kids. And, and that goes, that's so huge because what, what we always have to remember is that everybody that's, that's in the PE profession, I'm gonna completely make up a statistics, which you're not gonna like, but, but 90% of your students, and I guess made that number up, they chose to go into physical education teacher ed because they had such an awesome experience in PE, right? But then the key is, how do we educate them at that undergraduate level to move things forward and not just go back and do what they did because they were probably successful athletes and loved it because of that, right? So how do we move those things forward? Because not all of our kids are successful athletes. So I think that's a lot of what goes into this is, is not just the SEL standards for the kids, but it's that realization of what social emotional learning is for the actual practitioner. I think that's just worth mentioning because it's crossing my mind.
1: Yeah, um, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, Paul, so uh, uh, Yara just got on and so I thought uh what we could do here um yara if you don't mind uh, you can go ahead and unmute uh introduce yourself and then after you introduce yourself i'll throw out a question uh and you can tackle it first if that's okay
6: i can try thank you so much everyone my name is yara santian i actually just got through the door um we have our first uh sports games on saturday so kids are running and giving me paperwork and all this stuff so i apologize um i also have some contractors here so i'll be popping my mask on and off. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, I'm a elementary physical education health teacher from Albany Park Multicultural Academy. This is my third year at the school and I still haven't had a chance to do a full year. Um, My first year, our school was on strike and then COVID and last year we were all remote. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that this is uh, the first full year with my kids. Prior to that I worked downtown as the CPS physical education specialist. I did that for a few years and through my visits with teachers going through curriculum and instruction and just being around the kids I just miss teaching so much and it's the only time selfishly I just wanted to be happy and that's the happiest I've ever been is teaching kids so I'm happy to be back into the classroom and um, I'm at a great school. I live a couple blocks away. So the kids see me out. Uh, sometimes I see them outside, I yell at them from my window. So it's just, it's just the best job in the world. So I'm happy to be here. And thanks so much for having me.
1: Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Yara. And, and I'll throw out a question um, from the chat. And uh, we can start with you if, uh, if if you'd like, and then we can kind of pass it around to see if any of the other panelists have anything to add. Um, but so uh, here we go. So um, we, we talked a little bit more uh, before about different pedagogical models or curricular models, like TPSR, sport education. Um, but are there any written materials that, that you use as kind of a go-to for, for supporting your instruction related to SEL? So things like textbooks, websites, uh, resources like that, that, that you're really comfortable with and find to be really helpful.
6: Yeah, I think the the number one thing that I really look at is those standards. So the both the shape and um, PE standards, national health education standards, as well as the SEL, like competency standards. Um, And then just the the teaching personal social responsibility. Um, I often go back and just look over again and kind of go over through the levels and and the routines and all that. And those are the main things um, that I use, as well as previous experiences, um, some, some things that I look up you know, more on like um, adverse childhood experiences. I'll use some things with that as well. My own experiences with, with mental health issues and, and the anxieties that I have. Um, so I, I honestly reach out to my therapist and steal some of the things that, that she uses. So I kind of just try to, to grab from different areas and, and I use, you know, resources as much as I can.
1: Thank, thank you and, and appreciate, um, you know, you being vulnerable and sharing how you're vulnerable with your students. I think that's a, an incredibly important thing that, that many of us could do a better job with. You know, we all have struggles and making that um, making that explicit, I think, helps people kind of understand that their struggles aren't always unique. Um, so, so same question, I guess, uh, that, that Yara had out to the, the rest of the panel. Um, are there any other resources? Could be you know websites or or, or textbooks or, or just anything else that you go to uh for for um uh for SEL, Karen?
3: I have uh, a really good one for practitioners. Um I mean, Don's book, the one that Yara was referencing, is like a Bible, so just FYI. But then. Another one that was really put out that was great for some of the questions that I think a, like a general practitioner would want to know specifics, you know, in regards to how do I actually put this in my lessons, embed them, um, although Don does it too, but not to the same extent, is it's called Using Physical Activity and Sport to Teach Personal Social Responsibility by Doris Watson and Brian Um, um It really provides very good concrete examples for specific activities. So um, it's, it's a very good reference. And I think Paul, you, you wrote some of that uh, forward on on that, I think a little bit. But then the other thing that I also have used a lot that I've incorporated is a lot of this um, restorative justice work that's out there. um, And incorporating that within my lessons as well. Um, There's really good literature out on that kind of stuff too. So if you look up those stuff, I mean, just little techniques that you could incorporate within your class or your discussions and things like that. Um, to touch on SEL while you're you know going through your content.
1: Um, any any other of the panelists want to touch on that or otherwise I've got another question I can throw out.
4: I would just throw out uh, that you're going to start seeing your students are going to start seeing a lot of SEL screeners pop up in their schools. Um, I was in the Rockford Public School District for a while and we adapted Panorama um, and it's an SEL screener that teachers can use to, to assess screen tools. We can then look at the data. Um, we have one that we just adapted in Winnebago Pulse that I'll be learning more about tomorrow with the idea again of, of screen students pulling in data and then being able to work with our, our social workers, school psychologists um, and school counselors to interpret that data, analyze it, and then share that out with teachers to help them really differentiate your instruction from an SEL lens. So it's just something that's becoming more and more common.
1: Appreciate that. Um, So uh, another question that I can throw out that came from uh, the chat. um, What would uh, what would those of you who have been uh, working uh, in schools uh, and teaching SEL um, for, for a period of time, what would you suggest Uh, For a beginning teacher, if they're just getting started integrating SEL, what are the the kind of tips that you would pass along to them?
6: I would say um, you really want to familiarize yourself with um, your resources that you're using, such as, you know, the competency levels, uh, the social emotional learning standards um, it's been very helpful for me. Um, the more that I use them in my lesson plans, I like specifically put them into my lesson plan and it just becomes part of teaching. So if we're playing a volleyball game and we're talking about the underhand pass, it also reminds me of an opportunity to talk a little bit about, you know, self-management and management and things like that. So it's just, I think the more you plan for it, the more it becomes just natural. And um, at least that's been helpful for me. So that'd be my a tip that I have.
5: Yeah, I, I would agree with um, Yara. The more you use the vocabulary in your teaching, the easier it becomes. And giving them situations. Um, just going back to um, can't remember who said it, but shifting. I mean, what not to do, the shifting from a, a point standpoint, I mean, we still have a lot of educators that are, well, I'm going to take points off for this and points off for that. And you get three points a day for this and three points for that. I don't know how they keep up with it. That's not what I would recommend at all. Um, you know, shifting from a, a point standpoint to a learning standpoint is, you know, that's what we're looking for. The, you know, the, the dressing out and participation thing that, that, you know, we all know that shouldn't be happening anymore. That's not best practice, but um, but maybe rephrasing the expectations are and utilizing what Yara said, this is great for building relationships in decision-making. We do this And you know, in building relationship, we learn how to shake someone's, someone's hand. It's very simple things that you can implement. Um, and I think you just start small and then you just keep growing every year.
0: I love what Joe said earlier too about this idea that like lots of failure right when we talk about like what works and how every year they add something new to what they're doing her and her teaching partner and so I think that that piece is really important. Um, Kevin I think the question around social justice is really interesting if you want to throw that one out there.
1: Yep, um, I had that one queued up next, actually, so good timing. Um, So uh, the the question was, my my question for the panel uh, is how does social justice play a role in your curriculum? Social justice is embedded in SEL competencies, but what specific strategies do you use to address social justice in your classrooms?
3: I personally, we just literally, I mean, I'm talking about something specific. but like within the class that I had, we just had to deal with an issue in regards to using the R word. Um, uh, And so we structured it around our whole conversation with our SEL stuff, you know? So how is that, you know, respect for everybody and their differences and there's certain communities where this is not acceptable, kind of like, and we have to, how we as a community in this particular class, in this role, and you're in a caring way, have to educate people, and not as a punitive thing, but we have to just help teach people that this is, you know, not everyone is acceptable to that to that word and to and why kind of thing. you might not necessarily have to go into detail, but just being able to have the courage to have that social stance yourself um, to, to to say, you know. I, we don't use that word in our family, or we don't you know we don't use that word um, because I'm in this particular group or whatever. I mean, you don't have to explain yourself, but just making your own personal stance when it comes to being in your own social networks and your own social groups and giving people the power and the permission to to feel that they can do that, basically.
1: Awesome. Anybody else want to address that question,
4: Dan, about social justice? Yeah, I, and this is I only social justice is such a. There's so many components to it, and I, and I mean in a good way. But one area that I think is really easy to talk about and teach in physical education this setting related to social justice is the concept of equity, and, and what equity difference between equity versus equality, and how that can come into play. Because again, you know, going back and so I there's nothing better to teach about than, than health, right, than personal health. Um, we know that that not everybody's built, created equal. You know, they're, they're different. And people's needs from a, from a uh, physical, mental, and social emotional standpoint vary. And we don't fill those needs equally. We fill those meet needs through a method of equality. So that's a concept that most kids don't know. E- equity is a concept a lot of adults don't know. But if you, can, if you can take that concept, teach it at those lower levels and use the framework of health to do that, I think it helps. You know, we're always talking about literacy and physical education. Where can we use that opportunity for cross-curricular and to boost vocabulary um, across the board? it's, it's a great opportunity and, and to bridge those and start those conversations.
1: Awesome, um, thank you, Dan. Uh, So um, I've got another question here. Um, So uh, I'm wondering if there uh, is or are any SEL competencies um, uh, that you find more challenging to teach and or for students to demonstrate in your learning, and if so how you're overcoming this. Uh, My previous my pre service teachers are telling me that they are struggling with embedding self awareness into their PE lessons because they are not comfortable with identifying or talking about their own emotions. For example, they seem to be more comfortable teaching relationship skills and social awareness um, than than talking about their own emotional self-awareness. I'd be interested to hear about your experiences and if you have some strategies uh, for pre-service teachers or beginning teachers. I
3: would encourage I, I really think it's hard to do this kind of work without being vulnerable to be, cause to be, you have to be genuine and authentic in order to really reach. So I know it may be hard, but even if it's something as simple as sharing, you know, like how you felt about an activity You know, like while you were doing this and oh you know when someone didn't pass the ball to me, you know that's kind of where I start with some of my conversations because you get some groups that are so hard they don't they don't want it, they don't know how to talk about their emotions. You know so you're like Okay, so how did you feel like when when someone didn't you know pass you the ball that's that's a good place to start, you know
6: something simple. Uh, One thing that I struggle with, I think, is uh, responsible decision-making. I think our students are well aware of decisions. Um, You know, they can kind of say which one's decision would be viewed as a good decision versus a a learning decision. Um, And they tend to be able to point it out. But when it comes to actually that transfer skill, which is something that you know, I always focus on with TPSRs. How do we get them to transfer what they are learning in health and PE, and they're doing it in the you know what I mean? Like, they can, they know that an apple is has more nutritional value than a bag of chips, but how can we get them to actually make the decision for themselves? And I, that's something I think that that I struggle with every day. That students struggle with as well, um, and that's something that. You just, again, the more you talk about it, the more you plan for it, the more at the end of a lesson you bring it up, I think it's very helpful, but that's something that, that I think can be difficult, even as adults, right, it's, it can be difficult to always make that responsible good decision.
2: It's, these are all great answers. I wonder, are there any uh, any of the other panelists want to still chime in on that question? I want to give the chance if you do. Yeah, I'll I'll,
4: I'll just throw a link. Uh, I'm going to throw a link in the chat box and um and what it, I know part of Cassandra's question talked about if I'm interpreting this correctly too about your own pre-service teachers and talking about their how they're feeling. Um, one of the books that I recommend to teachers, uh, that I really enjoy is by an author named Patrick Lencioni. Um, and this particular book is called the five dysfunctions of a team. And it it talks, it talks about, um, really what those dysfunctions are and absence of trust and fear of conflict and how these things go through. And it's a good table to look at. Um, the only discussion for another time is, you know, what, what next steps, right? Because there's, there's such a there's such a big gap, a big jump that, you know, you finish your undergrad and then it's like this massive jump and now you're actually in the real world doing it, right? Um, and it's just stuff that we can't, we can't always predict. And this is one of those, one of those things you throw in the gap, I think, but I'll put a link in there for a PDF that describes it. Um, but it, it's, for for a lot of my new teachers, it's a good read, it's a short read, which is always beneficial um, to look at just to help us understand how we better establish trust and become vulnerable when we need to become Through that link in there just now.
1: Um, awesome, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, th- there was one additional question. Well, there were a few additional questions that came in through the chat. Unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to get to uh, to each of them. Um, but I did wanna ask this one because I feel like it's a little bit different than some of the other questions that we, we've kind of considered before. Um, so given that uh, given that this has such important implications, so SEL has such important implications in our classrooms and beyond, I would love to hear about how our panelists and school professionals are partnering with other school professionals and other wraparound service professionals in our schools and communities to help make it contextually relevant.
3: I mean, I can speak to that easy just because the nature of what I do, I work with other professionals all the time. So um, I have reached out and um, I've had um, some speech Paths come into my class, as well as social workers and stuff, and reached out to other, like just team, you know, members of my students and stuff. When we have kids, when I have students who are struggling socially, emotionally, um, in PE because PE is one of those natural environments where, you know, it's it's relaxed. It's not, you know, I mean, granted, it, it is academic, obviously but it's not to the point, like where they're reading a book or writing, you know, stuff. And so I've had to reach out because I can see the social struggles within my students. And I'll say, hey, you know, how can we support this kid, this their social needs better? And so I'll call in a social worker, I'll call in this, because it might be communication. They might have difficulty being able to express themselves, you know? So um, and, you know, we work as a team to kind of help support that student with their social
1: needs. Um, thank you very much, Karen. Uh, anybody else want to uh, chime in on that and provide some perspective uh, working with other types of service professionals, wraparound services, community-based services?
4: I would just recommend too with your pre-service teachers is always always talk with them about the importance of self-advocating and going to talk to their administration um, about these concepts and about how and how why they would like to implement it and how how can they do it. And I bring that up and I'm gonna take pride and say I enjoy speaking with all my teachers, but I also know that there are schools there's a disconnect between administration and faculty and there's a gap in between. And then even more so, I'm well aware that there is a gap that exists um, on a professional level sometimes between physical education administration and even physical education in other departments, which is is horrendously wrong, but it does exist. And when a lot of these teachers go out into the field, they might be placed, they might get their first job with a, with a couple of teachers that are okay with that, that are okay with, hey, we are PE, we'll do our thing, we'll roll the ball out, and as long as no one's getting hurt in our class, we're fine. So, so having that self-advocacy button on them to say, hey, you know what, this is what I want to do, but I know I could be working with the counselors, the psychs, the social workers, the other teachers, the administration, and as Emily said, the community, but how can I do it? That's a conversation. That's that's a great conversation to have. But but sometimes it's got to be that teacher to start started, right or wrong, um, that that you would think that would be a school goal. You'd think that'd be part of the strategic plan. But if it's not, that conversation needs to happen. So pushing that into the students, I think, is huge.
6: That's I can great. Add um, how important it is to get community and family engagement. Um, they are the biggest advocates, I think, that we could have as as, um, as professionals. Once you have family on board and they start kind of seeing the value, I think those are the biggest stakeholders um, that you really want is those, those parent engagement, that family engagement. Because um, really, they are the, the biggest, um, you know, we can teach them over and over again about how to take care of their bodies and to make decisions, but they're the biggest models that they see in their daily life. And so, um, I think kind of getting them on board and making sure that they support our, our profession um, and the importance behind it is probably one of the greatest stakeholders that that we can have.
2: All right, great. I just we've already been leaning in this direction, but knowing that we we're, we're sort of looking down at the last 10 minutes or so of discussion. Um, this is a question that we would like. Each one of you to sort of give your your final take on or words of wisdom uh, because you have a lot based on your your experience and how current it is out there in the field. Um, the audience here is primarily physical education teacher educators, right? You've all gone through a teacher ed program to get where you are. We've talked about the student teachers that come your way, um, but you're talking to the people who run these programs, who design these programs, who make decisions to keep things the same or change them, right? So um, speaking to this audience specifically, as teacher educators, what would your advice be to them? Some of the most important things you think that they need to integrate into their programs so that the future teachers are better prepared to deliver on SEL?
1: Uh, and Paul, if you don't mind, um, why don't we go to uh, to Joe Dixon first if she's got anything to say? I think she's got to um, get get off the Zoom here in a minute.
5: I'm gonna have to go mold some young minds at cross country practice here shortly. So, uh, <laughs> um, so the question was how? What do you want your teachers to? What do you want teachers to know to like? Just skills as far as. For example, like I think prepping them for like a back to school night, like, I don't, I'm, and I don't know if this answers your question, but I use my back to school night as my opportunity to present quality physical education to my parents, because most of them had really bad PE and um, not all, but I use that as an opportunity for them to get on my team. They need to know what quality PE is. So back to school night which I think is huge, um, especially if you get the opportunity to present or teach. Um, prepping a PowerPoint of what is your philosophy? What is does what quality physical education look like in your program? Or what is it going to look like? How does it feel?
4: Parents want to know
5: that. I think that's a big one. Um, and any opportunity you have to get in front of parents, I think is a, a great one. The other thing that I think is imperative is teaching them a few grant writing skills. It's, it's somewhat significant in um, you know, attaining some money. I mean, I feel like we have heart rate monitors. I feel very fortunate, but that is also for us an extra teacher in the room. I know that sounds like, oh, this is money and this is not important. It is important um, because it really, it's a self-management tool in itself. It's really good. So I would say those two things are really good. Um, and then prepping for what do you want your program and your vision to look like? What kind of, you know, everybody wants the, the golden nugget. Everybody wants equipment and pretty things and right Christmas morning. But what do you want that to look like and be your vision? And how do you want your classes, you know, to, to run from, from the beginning to the end? What, you know, what do you want kids to know and be able to do by the time they leave your class? That's important.
2: Great, thank you, Joe. And I know you've got to get going, so thanks so much for your time. Go shape those minds up. We got to go in some.
5: What... Hey, it was
2: all right. all right, guys. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, to, the, to the other panelists, um, it, and on, on in the last few minutes here, any final thoughts that you would give as advice to PE teacher ed programs? How can those teacher ed programs change what they do? Whether that's more clinical experiences or integrating new materials or uh, some of the other ideas you may have hit on already, but what do they need to do as teacher ed programs to better prepare the next generation to address these things?
3: Thank you for clarifying that, Paul. <laughs> I mean, I, I understood it, but not fully, but so, but yeah, in regards to that, I when thinking it from that perspective more in-depthly, now that I had a chance to hear it twice. Um, I think you have to have a concentrated focus on SEL as well as um, the stuff that Joe was talking about, being able to have and show experiences examples tangible ways of how this is being done um, I think that's the biggest thing from a practitioner perspective most of us I mean heck we're PE teachers you know we, we like to do we have to physically see it you know what I mean visual learners as well as kinesthetic learners so you literally have to get you know your hands in the muck and if you don't get them you know actually in delve into how to incorporate this into their 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 ways of teaching, then it gets lost by the time, because it can easily get lost once you actually get in the job, because you have those other factors like Dan was talking about like, you know, you have teachers who are just, you know, strictly like sported minded, are not even thinking of anything about, you know, SEL kind of thing. So you got to be able to have your feet grounded in it first.
2: Great, thank you. Yara, Dan, any final words for teacher ed programs?
6: Though, I think one thing that I've really started to just challenge myself with is assessment. Um, Particularly, how do we make assessment? How do we give it more equity when we assess? Um, From my own personal experiences in school and then later on my first few years in teaching, how can we properly know what students are able to do and what they know? And I think that's something that continues to really, honestly, like maybe sometimes separate us from the content areas, other content areas is how are we assessing that every day? And how does it look like in physical education? Because it doesn't look the exact same way it looks in a lot of content areas. And a lot of that comes with, you know, sharing with like our administrators and kind of advocating saying that it looks different in PE. Like we can't do the same things. Like we wanna keep them moving as well. But I think assessment and doing it in the right way. And I think there were several panelists that talked about things like not grading for participation, not getting points like that. Um, how can we continue to move that forward? Um, the other thing just very briefly is just that flexibility. Like how can we teach um, teacher education students like how to be flexible? Cause we know, that things happen, equipment gets taken away, rooms get closed down, we go into remote learning, we have to work and move very quickly. So I would say those are things that um, I see a continuous need to to develop and to, to learn more
4: about. I went last because now there's not much for me to say. <laughs> there are, those are some really, really good responses. I guess to my count, there's three things that crossed my mind. I think that, that maybe weren't shared here. And the first was, bro, when you were talking about pre-service teachers, um, and for how valuable this profession is. I think uh, I want to say Hans was is who floated something back a, a few messages back and asked about. Unfortunately, a lot of the students that go into PE is so that they can coach and and. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I went into physical education teacher because I was going to coach basketball, but I was fortunate enough to have some outstanding, outstanding undergraduate teachers get my head on straight about my sophomore year and understand what the purpose of PE was. So I would say if the first and foremost, if you've got if you've got the students that only want to coach, kindly redirect them to where they can go and coach as a profession um, and, and understand that PE comes first and coaching comes second. Um, the, the second thing I would, I would offer is that I'm where you're seeing a lot of shifts in education as a whole, I, I mentioned professional learning communities, MTSS, those are two things that when they get brought up um, shouldn't be, shouldn't come across as that's not quite PE. Um, those are crucial when we're interviewing now, we're looking for students that have an understanding of professional learning communities and where they would fit um, across the board and same with MTSS. And the third, and, and this is just crossing my mind I'm, as I'm sitting here, and my two connections that I see on the screen right in front of me are, are Paul and Emily from Illinois State and from Northern Illinois, who, who I know the, the best here. And, and connecting um, to see what's what, what buckets need to be filled, because physical education, teacher ed, health education, there is so much stuff. To try and cover in four years, I don't know how you do it in four years. I went to school, I don't know, twenty years ago, and I couldn't get it done in four years. I think that's just because I didn't want to leave. But, but there, there's there's so much stuff to cover, and there's so much new stuff. We talk like you know, we're talking about SEL, we're talking about, SCL, we're talking about uh, PLCs, and that doesn't even cover the technology. When we look at uh, Google for Education, when we look at all the different assessment tools that are out there, so putting together almost a checklist for your students that say, hey speaking with professionals in the field, this is what we still want you to learn. We're gonna give you the diploma, you're done here with us, you've met our requirements, but unless you wanna be here for eight years, this is some stuff that we're gonna recommend that you cover in the next couple of months before the job starts, maybe before that first interview, but this is what we got to, We still want you to get through. Um, and, and we can do that. And, and I think one of the things Paul said was more clinical experiences don't do more clinical experiences if they're bad clinical experiences. <laughs> if, they're with a bad, if they're with a bad teacher, don't send them back for more of it. Uh, I, I hate saying that, but I, and my doors are shut and everybody's gone home. But when I get a request for a clinical experience or a student teacher, I'm extremely selective on who they go with. Um, because in my mind, if I have a pre service teacher coming to and an Winnebago Middle School, if I put them with a the teacher that I don't think is up here, that reflects on us as a building. It's, it's no different than when you're working with high school athletes and you're talking to recruiters. If they don't work hard, tell them they don't work hard, you know, because that reflects on your program. And it's the same thing here. So those are some, those are the gaps that, that cross my mind, I guess, that, that I would share. Thank you, Dan, um,
2: and and all the panelists. Um, we're, we're down to just our last few minutes here and we want to be respectful of everybody's time um, and, and wrap up at 4.15, but, uh, we're so pleased with how this has gone because you guys were all selected to represent current practice out there in the field because of your expertise and your insights, um, you know, and and your heart and your commitment and passion for this work. Uh, so it's, it's been really informative and refreshing. Um, just my couple comments, then I'll hand it off to Kevin. You know, a couple things that jumped out to me is Of course, we handpicked people that we know do this really well. And one of the striking things to me is how the the responses and the approaches and practice are so much about integrating this, not making it something extra or an add on. But one of the keys to success seems to be really integrating this into practice and into PE from planning through assessment. Um, And the idea of being intentional goes with that. Right. Uh, I love the phrase from Joe about you've got to be on offense, not defense. Um, This is not an afterthought. It's not, it's not optional. uh, If you want to do it well, it has to be baked in. Um, And then just my last observation is how much being authentic, being vulnerable, being able to be aware of yourself, you've got to walk the talk, right? We're trying to promote self-awareness among the kids. um, It really sends a powerful message the more we work on ourselves and being in touch um, with where we're at. Uh, sharing our vulnerabilities and being real with those folks we're working with. Uh, So again, thanks so much to all the panelists um, and to everybody for being here. I wanna hand it over to Kevin to uh, bring us home.
1: Uh, Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. Um, So we are gonna wrap up uh, this session. um, As um, uh, I think Jamie said at the very beginning, Um, along with what we've been doing at many of our recent peak collaborative sessions. uh, Anybody who wants to stay on and kind of have a more casual conversation, um, I see that Hans has got his hand up, for example. So um, many of us, I think, will be able to, to stay on and kind of continue to chat. Um, but we're going to bring the, the the formal part of this session to close. I just want to really thank the um, the speakers for coming to talk to us uh, and giving their time uh, to be able to share, um, you know, what what they uh, what, what resources and recommendations for those of us who are working in higher education, how we can better integrate and address SEL. So, um, uh, Jamie, do we have the the date for the next collaborative session pinned down? Not to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> well, it is going to be. October 14th I think the second um, Thursday in October so um, and same time same zoom link um, and you'll get information about the topic ahead of time so um, do please share um, the email and link with um, with your colleagues and grad students and others. um, And if you want to be added to the mailing list, um, you can reach out to Risto um, to be added to the mailing list for that as well. But um, we will be carrying on through the fall semester um, on the second Thursday each month at 4pm Eastern. So, thank you all for being here and as kevin mentioned um, we will stick around for about the next 15 minutes for some informal discussion um, but i will close the official peak collaborative um, first one of the school year so welcome back everyone and we look forward to seeing you at future ones so thanks so much